treatment plants that give us our drinking water, energy suppliers that bring power to our homes, manufacturers who make the essential things we need, and ships that transport goods and people around the world. All of these are key to enabling our life the way we know it. So how do we ensure that the equipment installed in these large and complex infrastructures operates for decades to come without interruption and in the most energy and resource efficient way? And how do we ensure equipment installed at newly built facilities is also future-proofed? I'm Fran Scott, and in this episode of the Process Automation Podcast from ABB, we're going to find out about lifecycle support. Later, we'll be hearing from Anna Pritz, Head of Sustainability at 4C Ferries, about how her company has retrofitted two of its vessels with batteries to provide them with a longer lease of life while also making them more sustainable and better for the environment. But first, Fabian Wagner, Head of Strategy and Sustainability at ABB Process Automation, explains what lifecycle support is all about. Essentially, the life cycle in industry is very much comparable to the life of a human, essentially. When an industrial asset is designed, is built, is run for many years and decades, and then at some point in time also decommissioned. Because obviously you know a lot about the work that ABB is doing to help support like the life cycle and, and with life cycle support. Could you talk me through that a little, please? Ultimately, we try to support our customers from the beginning. Typically, when they're planning a facility, we try to be there advising them with some of the critical equipment that they anyhow will need for their process, like gearless mill drives that are grinding rock for example. On the other hand, also in the design of an oil rig or a power plant, when it comes to the automation, there is typically the phase of building the assets. And then with our offerings, such as the automation, the electrical, and sometimes then also already at that stage, the software, we come in and basically deliver, of course, these packages. And then really the clock starts ticking. Then you have the decades of life in front of you. You need to keep the automation up to date. The automation, you can imagine, has a bunch of computers distributed around the facilities. On the other hand, there's also a software component. You have to keep that up to date in very close cycles. In longer intervals, you then have to start changing the system just simply to keep up with the technological possibilities that you have. We provide the software updates, so to make sure the system is up and running. But for example, after 20 years, you can imagine the types of computers that are there to run this are also not entirely up to date. So that's when you're meeting a major upgrade cycle, also then a more massive one. We're also looking at predictive maintenance. So some of the equipment in the plant may have an issue or fail in the future because it breaks. But by now, uh, basically with the possibilities of the data processing that we have today by the algorithms that we have today, we have algorithms that can actually reasonably reliably predict failures much into the future, which then gives the operator the possibility to say, well, we will take that machine out of operation in a planned manner, replace it, repair it instead of it breaking down at a time that we really cannot have it 
So that's basically where ABB comes in. So gosh, things are constantly changing. We know with the tech that we use just as personal consumers, all of the updates and everything, but in terms of doing this on a huge scale, yes, ABB can sort of help them, but is there technical support as well for these people being able to cope with all of these changes? Some of our very large customers do have, of course, the capabilities to make such changes also in an automation system. But many other customers naturally don't have these changes coming about all the time. So it's much more meaningful for them to reach out to us. And then we basically support them in getting their automation system to reflect the latest changes in their factories, in their processes, new machinery, for example, just simply upgrading and making sure that they have the latest software available, that they have a more user-friendly interface, essentially, for the operator to make the operator's life easier. And very much increasingly, we're also starting to offer more advanced digital solutions. When we're talking about life cycles in the context of industries, typically, what sort of timescale can that be? Some of these assets were built in the middle of the 20th century or even earlier. The more normal time is something like 20, 30, sometimes 40 years. In many instances, only a few parts of the original asset actually survive until the very end and, and the rest is exchanged. Some of these are in buildings which are made of concrete, so they may stay the same or a dam for a hydro plant, for example. Well, we often think about these assets very much as water processing plants and so on and so forth. So even with assets that are already reasonably old, you basically can upgrade them and bring them up to a date very much in terms of extending their lifetime and also giving them the technology that they need to be operating today again. Why is knowing about life cycles so important in industry? Why is it important to get this right in the power plant or in a water desalination plant? We all want access to, well, as cheap as possible and probably as sustainable as possible power. If we're not getting the life cycle right, on the one hand side, the worst case that can happen, we don't have water or power anymore. And it happens in many places. On the other hand, it's also simply, of course, a matter of cost. A repair in a major power plant will take it out for a long time. And the worst thing, it's unplanned. So what we rather want to do is make sure we're taking the time to properly maintain it, do the upgrades to bring it to the latest technologies in a planned manner. So in the end, we don't have the nasty surprise and can make sure this is reliable over time. Fabian, what happens if you don't get life cycle management right? What could be the consequences? The first and most immediate one is that you could have a real danger to human life or health. Imagine some of these chemical complexes that produce many of the chemicals that we have in our daily lives that are around us. If you don't get the life cycle right and there is an incident, in the worst case, someone gets hurt some type of emission that is going to be harmful to the people around it, to the environment. That's, of course, something we have to utmost avoid. Also, it's something 
from a process perspective and business perspective that you really don't want to get to. Just imagine you have a chemical reaction ongoing somewhere and your system breaks down. Suddenly, some kind of substance starts going from liquid to solid. And afterwards, you have to basically scrub and clean the whole plant again and restart it from new. You're going to lose days or weeks of production. And that's basically something that many of our customers simply cannot afford. They are also from a business perspective in a competitive environment. So it's absolutely necessary that what we offer to them, but also what others are putting into these assets are working at 99.99999 and many more nines percent of the time. So it's very different from many of the applications that we use in our daily lives, for example. So if our home wireless network breaks down for a minute a day or two, it might be frustrating, but it's not a problem. So in summary, it's three things, making sure that people are safe and that our environment remains intact and in good state. Number two, making sure our customers are staying competitive in their marketplace. And number three is really the sustainability part of things where we make sure that we're not wasting precious resources, but that we are putting them to a second life wherever possible, that we are extending the lifetime, making a major contribution to a sustainable economy. How do you see the future of all of this within ABB? Like, where are you going to go next? Well, look, I think we still have a lot of work to do, especially on the digital front, but also on the automation side. On the automation side, in the past, uh, someone sat in a room and supervised this entire facility from there. More and more, we're moving to remote operations. There will be more autonomous sites, so basically algorithms supporting the operators make the right choices. On the digital front, we clearly also see a lot more advanced algorithms optimizing entire plants, predicting failures, ensuring that the least amount of energy is used and also at the lowest cost. A lot of development going on there, both on the automation layer, but also on the more advanced software side. Fabian Wagner, Head of Strategy and Sustainability at AVV. And gosh, what a vast but important subject. But lifecycle support isn't only key to ensuring uninterrupted and efficient operation of newer facilities. It can literally give a new life to infrastructures that were built many decades ago. For example, ferries. These are an absolutely essential means of transport in many parts of the world. According to interferry.com, so that's the shipping association that represents the ferry industry worldwide, ferries transport about 4 billion passengers and 360 million vehicles per year. And as we've discovered in our earlier episode about the marine industry, shipping is of course under pressure to reduce its emissions. And ferries that often operate close to densely populated urban areas are stepping up the game with the help of electrification. According to Maritime Battery Forum, there are currently 300 battery-powered ferries in operation, with another 100 on order. But battery technology isn't only reserved for ferries that are being built today. Enter 
lifecycle support. With clever engineering, batteries can actually be installed on ferries that were built a long time ago, sometimes decades. And these batteries will replace diesel power to not only extend the lifetime of these ships, but also make them more sustainable. 4C Ferries operates services between Sweden and Denmark, and head of sustainability for the company is Anna Pritz, who gave me an insight into who they are and how, with the help of ABB, whose technology is at the heart of the conversion, they've invested into making sure that their vessels are future-proofed. We're a very small but very effective company that runs the ferry traffic between Sweden and Denmark at the most narrow part of the Öresund Sound, the strait. So our crossings is about four and a half kilometers. We have four ferries running every day and together they're doing approximately 140 crossings. And the crossing is only 20 minutes. So it's not a long ride, but it's an important ride they're doing because we're a very important part of the infrastructure between Sweden and Denmark. And also between Sweden and Europe, I would say, because a lot of the freight and the passengers that we ship, they're actually continuing out in Europe. So it's the entry to Europe, so to say. And you took a pretty bold step, didn't you, by converting two of those ferries from conventional diesel engines to battery power. So explain to us what some of the challenges were. Yeah, you're right. It was a pretty bold step, I would say. At that time, when this whole thing started, I would say in 2014, we were owned by Scandlines and they had just converted four of their ferries to hybrid ferries. And at that time, the whole thing with environmental issues started to be quite important. But also we saw that the oil prices were running high. After this hybrid conversion of the Scandlines ferries, we realized that maybe it was possible to actually go further and go fully electric. And we decided that we should look into it at least, but it would be too long of a distance to do it down there. So they looked at up here instead, between Sweden and Denmark. So we started to investigate, is it possible? It took us two years almost to do the investigation. And here is one of the challenges because nobody had really been doing this kind of thing before. I mean, there was electric ferries already before, but not in that size that we needed and not with the efficiency that we needed. We have a turnover time of 10 minutes. We need to be coming into port, discharge and charge our cargo within 10 minutes of a time, which puts quite high requirements on the equipment. So it was really a big challenge technically. We also had to look into the rules and regulation because there was no rules and regulation for this kind of operating systems. There was no either incentives like taxes and that kind of stuff. There wasn't the infrastructure for this kind of operation. I mean, we can't just plug into a 220 volt connection, but we really like big power into our ships. So we had to look into the infrastructure and actually connect directly to the power stations, which meant that we had to dig cable five kilometers on one of the sides and seven kilometers on the other side. So there was a lot of things to look into. So in 2016, our new owners had to take the decision. And at that time, when they started to look into it, it was also about the economic issues, of course. There were no business case because the oil prices had plummeted. Electric prices had gone up, so the costs or the benefits of saving money wasn't really there anymore. 
We had some brave owners at that time, and we still have. They decided to go for it anyway, because now the environmental issues and questions was really so important for us. We took on the challenge. But what did that actually involve? It involved sort of removing the diesel engines completely and replacing them with batteries. What changed within the physical ferries? Actually, there wasn't that big of a change because we do have the diesel engines left. They are a backup system and they can be used if we need them. We can also run on hybrid. We have the batteries and the diesel engines that cooperates. Basically, we had to stabilize the ferry to carry all the batteries that we have on top. We also have a very delicate and sophisticated battery management system uh, that operates and always transfers the energy to where it's best needed. On board the ferries, they pretty much look the same, but they have a lot of extra cables, a lot of batteries and extra equipment. If you have a diesel engine running, they produce a lot of heat that we can use to heat up the vessel with. We don't have that anymore because there is no excessive heat from the batteries. So we had to find heat in other areas. So there's a lot of those new things that came with the battery project that has been really interesting to work with. And how did the foresee employees react to the idea? Was everybody on board with it? <laughs> Excuse the pun. Yes, uh, I would say they were on board. Maybe not at the beginning because, you know, coming to new things, you're always a bit skeptical. Is this doable? Is it really better for the environment? I mean, batteries, where do they come from? What about the electricity, et cetera, et cetera? So there was a lot of issues, but I would say that very quickly, everybody got into the mood that we are doing something to help out, to help this transformation, the green transformation. We got very engaged employees. And it wasn't only about like the people working with the battery project itself. This had an effect on everybody within the company because everybody had to try out the things, to work different hours than they normally did. All of a sudden, they had to do trial trips out in the strait to test out things. So everybody was involved one way or another within the whole project. I mean, it has been a long journey, but everybody have like kept up the good faith and believed in it. And I think that's why we have been so successful, because we have really put in everything we could, all of us. And it seems like it's been such an exciting time within the company and an inspirational time, you might say. And I suppose that doesn't even just apply to within the company. I can imagine there's people from the outside looking in, other shipping and ferry companies, seeing what you do as something that they might follow. So what reaction have you had from others within the business? We had so many people coming to look at what we have been doing and it has been also been an important part of what we are doing because we want to share our journey with others so others don't have to do the same mistakes as we do. It's about give and take. Everybody needs to help out now because we know that we're sort of in a position where we are running out of time for this green turnaround. We have people coming from all around the world. We had people from Canada. We had people from Japan. We had people from the United States, all over Europe. We had people from close here, of course, the locals private persons who are interested. We have been doing so many tours and presentations about this, and it has been so much fun. We have learned so much along the way. It has also been hard work. We weren't really prepared for this when we started into it, and we said yes to everything. And we still do say yes to most of the trips, but they take a lot of time 
But at the same time, that's also a part of the pride. Everybody is very proud of it. And we want to share what we have learned. From a sort of engineering point of view, from a sustainability point of view, but what do the customers think? How has their experience changed? Do they get a bit of a different ride? Do they notice the difference at all? Yeah, I think they notice the difference. Regulars, we have a lot of people working in Denmark and Sweden that travels every day. They've noticed because the ferry ride is much smoother. There's no vibrations, less noisy. Physically, they have noticed. It's also about a sense that we are working on these things, that we are doing something that people expect from us because we all know what kind of situation we're in and the society around us, they expect us to actually act. That's what we hear from our customers. This route that you look after, it's a busy route, isn't it? You said there's four ferries every day, 20 minutes, 10 minutes turnaround. So what sort of demands are there on the machinery and the systems in order to keep that surface operating in the way that it needs to? Yeah, you're right. We are very busy. It's important. It's vital for our operation and for our business that we actually stick with our timetable. Our passengers, they can count on us so they feel that we're reliable. Our customers are coming to us and they expect to be waiting 5-10 minutes and then there should be a ferry. If that wouldn't happen, they would go elsewhere. They would take the bridge. So for us, it's imperative that we actually always in good shape and that we're always punctual, but also reliable, that we're there for them. To be able to do that, we really need to look into our maintenance, our ferries. I mean, our ferries are getting quite old today, but I would say that they're in the best shape because we have so much precautionary maintenance. We're also working a lot on future-proofing them by always looking into the new technology that's out there. It's really important for us well, we wouldn't have the customers. There's always environmental challenges running a ferry service and there's regulations as well. So how have you gone about making sure that when it comes to the regulations and the challenges that you're on the right side of the line, that you're making sure that you're doing what you need to do? We have actually pretty much always been on the right side of the line because we have always been ahead of rules and regulations. I mean, looking back to our vessels when they were built, they were sort of state of the art. They had all the new technology that you could imagine. They had like a hyper modern waste system, for example. They had low energy engines. We started out very early with catalytic cleaning on all our engines. We are working in an environment where we have the people living very close to where we are, meaning that we have to consider their needs and concerns. So we have always been ahead of the regulation, and we still are head of regulation. At the moment, regulation is really moving quickly. We see it's catching up on us, which is necessarily, I think, and I'm very happy to see this happen. We feel very confident that we can handle the new regulation and that we can handle what's coming up next. As a company, you've done so much already and overcome so many challenges. Where do you see the future of your business now going? What's next after this incredible journey that you've been on? Well, we're still on the journey because, I mean, we're not there yet. I think we'll never be there. But this whole battery project, it actually created who we are. It built confidence within the company that sets our character. 
we feel confident that we will be able to handle any challenges that are out there because we have been handling those challenges. I would also say that this project actually opened our eyes and made us realize that there are so many other things that's out there that we need to handle. So we realized that we need to save energy. We realized that the food that we're serving causes quite a lot of climate gases. We realized that we have a lot of chemicals that may not have been the best for us. We realized that plastic has to be exchanged. So we are working in so many different areas. So this has sort of opened up the eyes for many of our employees out there. And everybody feels that they're part of this whole transformation journey. There are still two ferries to convert and that we will be doing them. Anna Pritz, Head of Sustainability at 4C Ferries. And it shows us just how important it is to look at things from all angles when it comes to sustainability. So not only building new things that will last a long time, but also looking at things that have already been built and seeing what we can do to make them last longer. But that is it for this episode. Thank you to our guests, Fabian Wagner and Anna Pritz. I'm Fran Scott, and the Process Automation Podcast is a fresh air production for ABB. Follow now for free wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.